That was good. How are y'all? Good. I don't know if y'all saw that. My wife is going to a class, <laughs> right? She said, I hear this dude talk every day. Man, uh, if we've never met before, my name is Luke Hockenjoss. Uh, my wife and I joined First Baptist Halton in 2018 when God moved us here so that she could attend PA school. And uh, we came here on a uh, Sunday morning, went to Chad Wise's uh, life group, and we stayed, which is a miracle in itself. If you don't know Chad, if you do know Chad, you know why that's a miracle, right? And uh, met Gavin and Andrea and uh, Jeb, Jake, and Jude that same day, and, and we just fell in love with this place and met a lot of y'all, and, and this is home. Uh, I preached in Keithville Sunday, and I preached in Natchitoches Monday. I preached in Oakdale last night. And I'm excited that I only had to drive 10 minutes to get here tonight. <laughs> like, that just made me so excited. I almost walked here. <laughs> I was like, man, I've been driving all over the world. Might as well just walk here. So anyways, uh, I'm awkward, and that's okay. But Genesis chapter 26 is where we're going to be tonight, continuing through Genesis. Um, when Gavin sent me a message and asked if I had this Wednesday open, I said, I do. What you got? He said, I'm going to be in Kansas. And I told my wife, I said, I, he might be inviting me to hunt. Or he might be asking me to preach. Either way, it's a win. Well, I found out you have to have a tag to go hunt in Kansas. And so then I knew that I was going to be here preaching tonight. And what's so cool about getting to preach here on Wednesday night is because in what I normally do, traveling and preaching, uh, Genesis 26 really isn't a chapter that I would have gone to to preach at a revival service. I've read through Genesis a couple of times. But this just isn't a normal text that I would preach. And so it's really kind of stretched me a little bit in my ADD-ness into focus and to study and to really see what God has in Genesis 26, not just for you, but also for me. And so we're going to read through this, and then we're going to come back, pick a few things out, and uh, it's going to be fun. Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Sound familiar? For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful, like father, like son, right? It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. I bet that was an awkward sight. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say, she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought quilt upon us, guilt upon us. 
So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father, Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servant dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisors. Ahuzath, yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to try to say that with confidence, but it got me, right? Okay, let's try that again. With his advisor, A, and Fickle, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said... Let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basamith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the word. And Lord, I thank you for a church that believes in preaching the word, God, verse by verse. And Lord, I thank you that just the hearing of the word is powerful. And Lord, I pray tonight as we walk through some things in Genesis chapter 26, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. God, I pray that I will decrease and that you will increase. Lord, for those of us in here tonight that may be struggling, that may have a lot going on, God, that just may be suffering, Lord, I pray that we see that this is a part of a Christian life, is suffering, but that you don't leave us in the suffering alone. 
God, that you still appear to us and you speak to us in our suffering and you have a plan for us. God, I, I pray that tonight will just be a holy moment of the preaching of your word. God, help me, Lord, uh, take away any nerves that I may have. I pray that this message just isn't for the people in the congregation, that you speak to my heart as well. God, we love you, and I pray that we truly understand what it means to be able to say that we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. That was the most I've ever read standing in front of a group of people. And I was, you, people ask me all the time if I get nervous. Well, my heart rate right now is 92 beats per minute. Just to kind of let you know where I'm standing at in, in, in my life right now. So that was a miracle in itself that we got through this. Genesis chapter 26, reading through that, and while I was studying this, I really couldn't get past the first nine verses. Because when you read this, you see a very familiar story. We heard kind of the same thing in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 20, where Isaac's dad, Abraham, did the same thing with his wife, Sarah, that Isaac did with Rebekah. When they traveled to a foreign land, they lied and said that their wife was their sister because they were afraid that they might die because their wives were beautiful. They married way above. They outkicked their punt coverage, as some of the old timers like to say, every time I walk into a church with my wife. I guess if I go to a foreign country, I should say she's my sister so that I wouldn't die, right? Well, here in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 26, we see something that not a lot of believers truly believe. Listen to what it says. It says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. Now, we're pretty spoiled here in the United States. Um, we've never really seen a famine. We've never seen it where there was no food and there was no water and, and the livestock was dying of dehydration. We've, we've never experienced a famine like this is talking about in Genesis chapter 26. But what this shows us in this, the same truth all throughout Scripture is that even though Isaac was in a covenant with God because of his father Abraham, even though Isaac was in this covenant, he still suffered in the world. And the truth that we find in Genesis chapter 26 is one that we have to believe today on September 13th of 2023 that even though we are followers of Christ, and even though we've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no higher price that has been paid than what was paid for your souls and for my souls. Even though we can say Jesus is Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit, we will still suffer in this world. There's a theology and a belief today in some charismatic churches that if you suffer, then you must sin. That if you go through suffering in your life or sickness in your life, then you must have some great sin in your life because true followers of Christ should not suffer and should not get sick. They say if you just believe by faith and name it and claim it and all these things, well, in Scripture, you see every person that followed after Jesus suffer. The disciples Judas, you know, he turned Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver, and he dies a horrific death, right? Well, then the other 11 disciples, they all die as martyrs. Even the apostle Paul is beheaded for his relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus' half-brother James, he writes in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, to count it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kind, because when you face these trials, it will produce endurance 
And when endurance is produced, it'll produce character. And then the character produces faith. See, church, this is what we find in this very first verse, that even though there was a covenant with God between Abraham and his descendants, God had promised that he was going to multiply the descendants. And every time I read Abraham, I almost broke out in song. Do you know what song it was? I bet you do. I'm not going to make you sing it, but my ADD squirrel brain was going there every time. But God had made a promise with Abraham that he was going to multiply his descendants. And then he's telling Isaac here in a little bit, the same thing's going to happen for him. But yet they still went through a famine and they still suffered. The hardest thing for us to swallow sometimes is that if he is such a good God, then why do we have to go through such bad things? If he is such a good God, then why aren't our prayers answered when we pray for them? If he is really good, then why do little children have to die? Why do our loved ones have to die? If he's really good, then why is there so much bad? And can I just tell you this? I don't know the answer to that. And I believe that if any preacher stands behind a pulpit and tells you that they know exactly why that happens, then I, I think they may be telling a little fib. But here's what I do know, that even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. His rod and his staff comforts me. He prepares a place for me at the table of my enemies and what happens in Genesis chapter 26 verse 1 to Isaac going through this famine he goes through a time of suffering is what is going to happen to all of us that claim to follow after Jesus Christ and you can either find people that suffer well or suffer horrible I know you came to Wednesday night and you didn't think it was going to all be about suffering so sorry right I wore my blue boots to try to cheer you up but this is the reality of the Christian life even though we have the promise of heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, because when we abide in him, he abides in us. Even though, yes, that is true, the truth of it is that we will still go through times of famine. We will go through times of drought. We will go through suffering, even though we have God as our, God as our Lord, as our Father, and all of those things. We will still suffer. But Jesus said this. I love the words of Jesus. When I surrendered my life to Christ on November 2nd, 2014, the, the miracle of that is not that I found Jesus, it's that Jesus found me in my sin. It's not that a sinner called out to a Savior, it's that the Savior called out to the sinner. Like salvation's not a miracle because of a sinner calling out, it's a miracle because of a Savior calling out to a sinner. But when I started studying the Scripture and understanding that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed by the Holy Spirit, that all of these verses is from my Lord. When I started reading the words of Jesus, they comforted me. And Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that you will not be worried, that you will face trials of many kind in this world, but to take heart, to be courageous, for I will be with you to the end of the day. How do we suffer well as followers of Christ? How do we suffer well? We know that even in our suffering, our Savior is good. That even in our suffering, watch this in verse 2, the Bible says the Lord appeared to him and said. See, I think sometimes we've read the Bible so much that we can overlook some pretty powerful things. In the very first beginning of verse 2, it says the Lord appeared to him and said. 
There could be a period right there, and that would be powerful enough to us. Because we read in verse 1 that Isaac is going through a famine, and he leaves the land, heading down the same road that his daddy traveled during a famine, and the Lord God appears to him even in the middle of his suffering. This is something that just kind of really went well with me this week while I was studying this, that even in the suffering, the Lord appeared to his appeared to his son, appeared to the one that he had made a covenant with. God didn't forget him in his suffering. And if I can tell you this tonight, and I pray maybe this may be the only thing that you hear, that if you're suffering, that if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through something that you don't really understand, that the promise of God that you can stand on is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And even when you are suffering, he will still appear to you by his word, by his people, by his spirit. And if you are his, he will speak to you by his word and by his spirit and by his people. Can you imagine the comfort that this must have brought to Isaac? As he's traveling this road, he's been in a famine. Now, famines don't just happen overnight. They take gradual time. This famine had been coming on for a long time, and now everything's gone, and Isaac's moving his family down a road, a familiar road that his daddy traveled when there was a famine before him. And while he's traveling this road, he probably feels all alone. He probably feels like it's almost to the end, right? Like Even though God promised him this land that was fruitful, that even though God promised him that he would make his descendants multiply them, even though he knew the promises that God had made to his father about his descendants, which he was, he's still in this famine and he's still heading down a road trying to get somewhere else and the Lord appears to him and speaks to him. I don't know where you are tonight. But I do know this, that if you're breathing, you're either going through suffering, you're coming out of a suffering, or you're fixing and get ready to go into one. That's the circle of this life, right? And I know this to be true, that sometimes the enemy can make your suffering feel like it is condemning you, and that God doesn't hear you, and that God doesn't care about you, and that God doesn't want anything to do with you, and that you can pray all you want to, but the God that you are praying to is not listening to you because he's got other things going on in his life. Listen, if the Lord appears to Isaac in a famine, the Lord, I believe this, will hear you when you call upon him in your suffering. When the loved one dies, and you feel like no one's around you, the Lord will appear to you in your suffering. When the kids are acting like knuckleheads, I ran my family through the mud. And my mom called out to the Lord in her suffering, and she heard his voice through his scriptures. The Lord appeared to him in his suffering and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. So we see that Isaac is going through suffering in a famine, and he's leaving the land that God had told his father to go to. He'd been traveling about 75 miles, and in his suffering, the Lord appears to him, and the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord reveals his plan to him. See, I don't know if you know this, but if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you have a plan on your life to glorify God and to tell others about Jesus and to share your testimony and to make his name known. See, the Lord didn't just appear to to Isaac and say, hey, I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. The Lord appeared to him, never mentioned the famine, 
but mention the plan that he had for him. Never mention what was happening, but mention where he was heading. He said, listen, you go to where I'm telling you to go. You go to the land that I'm telling you to go to. And in this place, I will bless you and I will give you these lands and establish the oath which I made to your father, Abraham. That's good to me. I don't know if it's good to you. That in our suffering, the Lord speaks to us and the Lord doesn't speak to us and allow us to stay down there. He speaks to us and reveals his plan for us. Do you have any idea what the plan is in your life? Can I just tell you this? I think that a lot of us as Christians, we've made our plan and tried to fit God into it instead of allowing God to reveal his plan and fitting ourselves into it. Because, see, when we make our plan and try to fit God into it, then we can justify the sin that is in our plan and just have God kind of okay with it. But when we allow God to reveal his plan to us and we try to fit into that plan, he won't allow us into that plan with the sin in our life until we repent of it. That's something that we miss today in our churches is people repenting of sin. I told a church last night there's three things that we don't do much today in our churches. We don't, we don't fear God, we don't take sin serious, and we just don't believe that God can do incredible things. Isaac's headed down a road. He's leaving a famine. And the Lord appears to him and reveals his plan to him. I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you this. God didn't bring you through it to leave you in it. And God's not going to leave you alone. Even though you may sit at home and you may feel like nobody's listening and that nobody cares and that the world's continuing to spin while you're just sitting there and you feel like no one cares and it's like a famine. There's no more phone calls. There's no more food. There's no more anything going on and you feel like there's nothing left. When you feel like there's nothing left, there's always Jesus Christ. There is always the Lord. He is always there. He is magnificent, church. He is almighty, church. He is all-powerful, church. Like, this is not Muhammad that we're talking about. This is not the Jesus of the Mormons. This is not the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness. This is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one that the wind and the waves have to obey. He is the one that raised the dead to life. He is the one that healed the blind eyes, that healed the lepers, that made the death here. He is Jesus. Jesus, and this is the one that in your suffering, he has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. This is the one that when you feel like nobody else is with you, he is there for you. He has never left you and he will never leave you. He is right there with you when no one else is. And he's not going to leave you in the suffering. He's going to reveal his plan to you so that you can serve him well. The greatest testimony that you can have is not the complaints. It is the power of God that is in you in Christ Jesus. The greatest testimony that we can have as followers of Christ is to suffer in a way that points people to our Savior more than it does our suffering. I've seen some people suffer really, really horribly before. And you know what? One day it may be me. I have, both of my parents are still alive. I could get a phone call right now that could change my life. I have two little nieces that are 14 years old. I could get a phone call tonight that could change my life. My wife, I could get a phone call. My little girl, my phone could ring in any moment and change my life. And I go from being the preacher that preaches on suffering to the follower of Christ that lives through suffering. 
And I can only pray that I do it in a way that honors the Lord. But I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I, I, that I will. Because I don't know until I go through it. But we can see in scripture that God speaks to Isaac in his suffering. And he says, I will bless the land and give it to you. And I will fulfill, establish the oath which I swore to your father. We see that the suffering is a part of the life as those that are in a covenant relationship with God. Those that are followers of Christ, a part of our life is going to be to suffer. That even in our suffering, the Lord appears to us and he speaks to us through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. That when he speaks to us in our suffering, he reveals his plan to us. By the way, I love one of the verses that the Lord really revealed to me when I surrendered my life to Christ was Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, I know there's a lot of scholars that say, you know, that's, that's not meant for you. Well, can I just tell you this? If there's a part of scripture that's not meant for me, I don't want anything to do with it. And so when I surrendered my life to Christ, Jeremiah 29, 11 was one of the first verses that I memorized. For I know the plans that I have for you declares a sovereign Lord, not a false Lord, not a fake God, not a fictional, the sovereign Lord, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. He reveals his plan to us in our suffering. Kind of switching gears here as we continue into verse 4. It says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Watch this in verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, and my statutes, and my laws. So God's revealing this plan to Isaac about all the things that he's going to do. And he's revealing this to him while he's in the middle of a famine and he's leading his family to another part of the world, to another part of the country, about 75 miles. That doesn't seem like much to you and me, but it was a lot to them back in the day. They didn't have some woman on GPS telling them to make a U-turn, right? Like this was a long journey and the Lord reveals the plan to him, but listen to why the Lord's going to do it. It's not because Isaac's a mighty warrior. It's not because Isaac has it all together. Listen, he says, because Abraham, your father, because he obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, and my statutes, and my laws. I told you kind of switching gears a little bit. We talked about our suffering, and that's a part of a Christian life, and that the Lord appears to us in our suffering, and that he reveals his plan to us in our suffering. But now we see something pretty spectacular, that the obedience of the father is the reason that God was blessing the son. And can I just tell you this, that your obedience will impact your children and their children and your children's children. Your obedience to the Lord has a greater effect on those that are in your life than you would possibly, you may not even realize it. And because of Abraham's obedience, God is going to bless Isaac. Can I just tell you this, that when you're obedient to the Lord, you're doing something greater than sacrifice. He writes in the Old Testament, I it's there somewhere that he delights in obedience more than sacrifice and more than ways of worship. He would rather your obedience. Church, listen to me. Your obedience to the Lord matters more than your obedience to anything else. Your obedience to your job is not greater than your obedience to the Lord. Your obedience to your family is not greater than your obedience to the Lord. 
And when we obey God and when we trust him with all of our heart, when we seek after him, when we make his name known, when we're walking in obedience, it has a phenomenal and an eternal impact on our kids. I preached on 2 Chronicles chapter 33 last night, and it's the story of King Manasseh. I probably didn't pronounce that right, but take it up with Mark afterwards, right? It's the story of the King Manasseh, and his father was Hezekiah. Hezekiah did great things for the Lord. But when the king Manasseh took over, he was 12 and he ruled for many years. And the Bible said that he provoked the Lord to anger because of his evil ways. He was worshiping false gods. He was sacrificing his kids in fire. He was practicing sorcery. All of these things, provoking God to anger because of his evil ways. If you read through 2 Chronicles 33, you will see that the Lord turns him over to his enemies and they drag him away with hooks. But the Bible says while he was in his distress, he entreated the Lord by supplication. And the Bible says that God heard his cry. Now listen to me. How in the world would this man, King Manasseh, know to cry out to God in his distress? I believe it's because he saw his father, Hezekiah, call out to the Lord in his distress. Your obedience and the way that you serve God will impact your kids in either a positive way or your disobedience will impact them in a negative way. Because we see like father, like son in these next couple of verses. Because in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20, Abraham lies about Sarah being his sister and says, or lies about him being his wife and says that she's my sister because he's afraid to die. Isaac does the same thing. It says in verse 7, when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. Now, where did Isaac come up with the idea to say that she was his sister? Because I'm going to be honest with you, it's never crossed my mind once to say that Olivia is my sister. Like, it's just never something I've thought of, right? Like, I've just never been like, oh, man, we might die. She's my sister, right? Like, it's just never been there. Like father, like son. Your obedience or your disobedience will impact your kids in a positive way for the glory of God or in a negative way that leads them away. My dad was thrown out of school when he was 16 for fighting a guy that that mistreated his sister. When I was 12 years old, I was thrown out of school for threatening to kill a boy that was picking on girls. My dad had his first job by the time he was 17, working in the oil field by the time he was 18, made a name for himself. When I got thrown out of school, I started working in the oil field full-time with my dad. When I got out of high school, all I wanted to do was turn a pipe wrench. I wanted to be covered in oil-based mud. I wanted to be around. I wanted to smell burning metal because it reminded me of my dad. I chased after the oil field, and I chased after that life because that's the life I saw my dad living. Was my dad a bad, bad man? No. But my dad was not pursuing after Jesus. My dad was pursuing after the oil field. I pursued after the oil field way before I pursued after Jesus because I was following the ways of my dad. Gavin's talked several times from up here and down here uh, about generational um, curses. And some people think that that's just hogwash, right? Um, But in the recovery ministry that I've seen, I can tell you 
that just about every person that comes to give them Jesus and that we help that has an addiction, you can look through their family and you can see that somebody in their family also had that addiction, either a dad or a mom, grandparent, something. And church, listen to me. The way that you are either obedient to the Lord or disobedient, the way that you suffer, the way that you glorify God in the things that you do, it will either cause your kids to pursue after the Lord or it will cause them to pursue after your ways when they are met with the same situations that you're met with. Isaac heard the stories, I believe, of his dad and how when he was faced with a king named Abimelech and going through the same thing and was worried about dying, he said, you know what, I told him that your mama was my wife so that they wouldn't kill me because she was really good looking, right? And Isaac's met with the same thing. He says, she's my sister. I'm afraid to die. Can I just ask you a, a blunt question in the next eight minutes? The way that you are serving the Lord, are you serving the Lord in full obedience or in half obedience and half disobedience? Because, friends, that's full disobedience. Do you realize that the way that you serve the Lord in your suffering and in your highs and in your lows will impact the way that your children serve the Lord in their highs and in their lows? Do you realize that the more that you try to get your kids to do things in the world, the more they're going to pursue after the world, more than they're going to pursue after God? Do you realize that the more that you care about their athletic ability than you care about their eternal salvation, they're going to pursue after a sport more than they're going to pursue after a savior? Do you realize that the more you try to get your kids to be involved in hobbies or any other extracurricular activity, and then you just try to work God in there about an hour every week, they're going to pursue after that hobby or that extracurricular activity more than they're going to pursue after Jesus. We are seeing that proven today because my generation was coming up with their kids and because their daddies and their mamas didn't make Jesus number one in their life but made some sporting event or made some college their God or made some money their God. My generation is not raising their kids in church because we're too busy chasing after sports, hobbies, or money because that's what our families did. It is as serious as anything, church, that we realize that our obedience can either impact our children for the glory of God or our disobedience can cause them to fall. Isaac said, she's my sister. I'm afraid to die. When your kids are met with a suffering situation, how are they going to remember that you suffered? Are they going to remember that you suffered well? Even though you might have fallen and even though you might have cried and even though you might have been really wrestling and really struggling, are they going to remember that you glorified God and didn't turn from God? Are they going to remember how you pursued after Jesus more than you pursued after extra hours at work or extra events with your friends? Are they going to remember, men, how you loved your wives like Christ loved the church? Are they going to remember, wives, how you served your husband? Are they going to remember, wives, how you followed your husband because your husband was following after Jesus? Are they going to remember you for being angry or being humble? Are they going to remember you for being greedy or being generous? Are they going to remember you for being a liar or telling the truth? Because the worst thing that we can do for our kids, and I know I have a 14-month-old, right? What business 
business do I have giving you parental advice? Well, listen to me. It's not advice from me. It's advice from Scripture. The more we push our kids away from Jesus, the less they're going to pursue after Jesus. But the more we glorify God in all of our ways, in all of our actions, in everything we do, the more our kids are going to know how to pursue after Jesus. We're letting a world disciple our kids instead of letting the word disciple our kids. We're letting their sports and everything else be their God instead of letting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob be their God. I told you I couldn't get past verse 7 while reading this because we see so much in these first seven verses that Isaac went through suffering and a famine and that even though in his suffering the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him and revealed his plan to him He revealed this plan that he was going to receive the land and the oath which God had made with his father Abraham because of his obedience. He was going to bring forth on Isaac. But even in that promise, Isaac still came up with a lie and disobedience because it's what his father did. So how do we make this practical? Real quick, four minutes, right? I believe the first way that we make this practical is that we suffer in a way that honors God. We suffer in a way that points people to our Savior, not our suffering. That we don't lie about what we're going through, but we let them know that the only way we're making it is through Jesus Christ and his righteousness. My memon passed away. My family lost nine family members within a span of about two years um, back in the early 2000s. And my grandma passed away, and uh, she passed away on a Friday. They had her funeral on a Saturday and my uncle is a musician and he sings in churches and he showed up to a church to sing that Sunday right after they buried his mama my grandma and the pastor said son you know nobody expects you to do this and he said pastor you don't understand there's one in me that expects me to do this we suffer in a way that points people to our savior more than our suffering we look for God to speak to us in our suffering we don't look towards our friends we don't look towards social media We don't listen to the people on the outside. We spend time in our secret place with our Lord and our Savior and our God. We turn our phones off. We turn the TV off. We turn our iPads off. We get out an old-fashioned Bible that is paper pages, leatherback, hardback, whatever, and we just spend time with the Lord so that he'll appear to us and speak to us and reveal his plan for us in our suffering. And when it comes to being obedient, We look for the opportunities to obey God and we repent of the times we disobey God so that our kids and their kids will hear about our obedience and they'll see that we repent of our disobedience and that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness because we confess. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach. Lord, I thank you that you saved my soul through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us tonight. We're going to suffer. We're going to go through something. But you've promised to go through it with us. That you've told us to take courage, to take heart, that you are with us to the end of the days. So, God, I I pray that we will all, whether we're suffering now or going to be suffering later, Lord, that we will suffer in a way that points people to our Savior more than our suffering. Lord, I pray for those of us that have just been listening to people on the outside, telling us things that have no biblical authority in our life, telling us things that are not from you, that are just from their own thoughts. God, 
I pray that we'll get alone, we'll get in our secret place with you, and that we will listen so that we can see you and hear from you, and so that we can hear the plan that you have for us while we're in our suffering. God, I pray for us as parents. God, that we see that you've given us children not to raise as athletes, not to raise as business owners, not to raise as CEOs, but to raise as men and women that serve after you, that seek you and find you, that surrender to you. God, that we see that you've given us children to disciple, that make disciples, that make disciple, that they see us be obedient to you. But when they see us in our disobedience, God, may we not tell them that we remain disobedient. May we show them what it means to repent and come back to you. Lord, help us be people that are sold out for you, that fear you, that take sin seriously, and God, that believe that you can do all things. We love you. Be with us through the rest of this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.